Project. Welcome to I Am My Passion Project, a companion of my digital magazine, Badass Silver Streak. I'm Lorna Nickel. I'm an artist, writer, graphic designer, thinker, a renaissance woman, if you will. This podcast is a way for me to give a voice to women over 50, like myself, a platform to discuss sexism, health and wellness, redefining beauty, and healing from betrayal trauma. Without further ado, let's dig in together and figure out ways to resist societal expectations while reimagining a world where mature women are made visible and empowered to become their own passion projects. Let's do this. In my first episode, I promised to talk about my betrayal in a later episode. Well, here it is. But I have a disclaimer. Firstly, I want to say that I am not a therapist. So the information I lay out in the detailing of my betrayal is based on what I've learned from endless amounts of therapy by specialists in the field, individual, couples, and group, and education from recommended books. Secondly, while I touch on several components of being a betrayed partner and certain steps to recovery, I don't cover everything because, well, it's complicated so I don't hit on every aspect of betrayal. Thirdly, this is your trigger warning. If you are a betrayed partner or think you might be, it's highly possible that you might find some of the information and details that I talk about triggering. So listen with care. If asked who you are, you might list your first level of titles, of identifiers. You might say, I'm a mom, a bookkeeper, an avid reader, a dog lover. Maybe you would share that you were a widow if your audience seemed safe enough to share that with. Until May 7th of 2022, I would have said, I'm a mom, a wife, a graphic designer, a lover of running, cooking, fashion, and an artist. But in October of that year, I found myself at a retreat in a small town in Portugal, dressed in my newly purchased Athleta yoga kit standing in front of 12 unknown women introducing myself first and foremost as a betrayal trauma survivor, after which I broke into tears. If you've never been in this position, the position of being cheated on by the person you thought was your soulmate, you might not understand the unregulated nature of the newly betrayed and how some of us tend to want to share our fresh grief with everyone and anyone who will lend us an ear because it just hurts so fucking much. But let's go back to that pivotal date, May 7th. That morning was a sunny Portland day that started out as a normal relaxing day at home. I was happy. My freelance business was going well. My husband Noah and I were preparing to be empty nesters, planning to go on new adventures after selling our house and downsizing. Our son had graduated from high school. It was good. Life seemed good. Then in the afternoon, after I saw Noah on his phone and snuggled up behind him to give him a brief kiss on his cheek, after I did my workout and ate my lunch, Noah left the house, returning home a while later and offering me a latte. Not something he usually did, but I was grateful and took it as a caring gesture. But his mood seemed kind of off. Then he told me something that I did not expect to hear. Not in that moment, not ever. He said to me, 
When you came in and gave me a kiss, I was looking at porn on my phone. I'm a sex and porn addict. Now let's just take a deep breath here for a moment. For the betrayed, you probably know this day as D-Day. For others, this is the, quote, discovery. This is the day that a betrayed partner has their whole life turned upside down. The intimacy they thought they shared with just their partner and the life they thought they had built together is seen as a farce. They don't know what is true anymore, and the person they thought was their soulmate, the one they could rely on in times of struggle, is now someone they not only can't look for for comfort, but someone they can't even trust. Discovery can happen in many ways. In my experience as a participant in several therapy groups for recovering couples and betrayed partners, the betrayed partner usually suspects something is not right with their relationship. They might even bring it up with their partner, just to be shut down, gaslighted, and lied to. They might have one or more discoveries, even over the course of several years, that led them to believe there is more to the relationship story a secret email correspondence their husband is having with a woman, porn videos or photos they find saved on their computer, a phone message or text, a dating app added to their partner's phone, mysterious credit card charges, their partner sexualizing and flirting with other women when they are out in public together, catching them watching porn or actually catching them with another partner. But basically, the discovery has to do with a partner in a relationship acting out in what usually ends up being many different non-consensual ways in support of their extramarital sexual desires. During discovery, the betrayed partner pulls back the curtain that their partner has put up, revealing a total shit show of disturbing behaviors that constitute their partner's Quote, secret sexual basement, a term coined by Dr. Omar Manwala. Sometimes, like in my case, the betrayed partner has no clue. The abuser is so good at lying and deceiving that all sexual betrayal can be hidden for years, tens of years, 21 to be exact. But that doesn't mean that other abuses aren't peppered into the relationship. The ways abusers act out are called integrity abuses. The integrity abuses can be hidden or they can be out in the open. Some of them include lying and lying by omission, denying that the problem exists, victim blaming the partner, demanding the partner get over it, continuing the deceptive sexuality, verbal or physical abusiveness. There are many, many more, and they all lead to trauma in the betrayed partner usually acute trauma when they all hit at once, like you're driving in a Mini Cooper and get sideswiped by a Mack truck. Once there is a discovery by the betrayed partner, there is one key action that is suggested by experts in betrayal trauma, and that is for the partner to get to safety. That can mean physically as well as emotionally. The safety part is so that the abuse doesn't continue. When abusers are discovered, they face a certain trauma too. And some will do everything that they can to backtrack and to try to protect themselves and their secret so they don't have to be accountable. 
which can include lying and trying to use mental and physical control methods to try and minimize or contain the situation. Even if that isn't the situation with their husband, it's almost impossible for the betrayed partner to trust the abuser once they are aware of the betrayal, so safety is key. And sometimes that means some sort of physical separation, either a temporary separation where one of the partners moves out of their living space, a therapeutic separation which can be in home or out of the home, or a legal separation. Whatever the type of separation or non-separation the betrayed partner chooses, next on the to-do list for this long slog is betrayal trauma recovery in the form of therapy. Lots of therapy. For the abuser, the first thing they need to do to attempt to salvage their relationship is to acknowledge what they've done. If they want to try and build a new relationship because the original one is now rubble, they will need to own their shit. Then they need to start their recovery work. The challenging part for both parties is that the abuser won't be able to acknowledge the full extent of the damage they've done until they start the recovery. After I had my first discovery, Noah and I stayed in our house together until more betrayal information trickled out. That's another one of the not-so-fun parts of betrayal. You think you know it all, and then you learn about more acting out. Then I decided I needed a therapeutic separation and kicked him out of the house because I no longer felt safe and didn't want to look at his stupid face anymore. We lived that way for a few months. Noah in an Airbnb and me in the house with our adult son, until I decided I could no longer live in what felt like a shrine to our dead marriage. Then I moved out and into my own apartment. Let's talk for a moment about assumptions. It has been the norm in our society to assume that if there's infidelity in a marriage, it probably has to do with the wife being a failure somehow. In reality, in the case of sex and porn addiction, it is the opposite. It has everything to do with the cheating husband, his insecurities, shame, feelings of weakness or not being valued, unhealthy sexuality. All of these feelings and behaviors have usually been going on for him long before his wife was even in the picture, sometimes since he was a child, when his childhood trauma occurred. One of the challenges of being a betrayed partner is feeling like something is wrong with me, the way I look or act. But I have to keep reminding myself about Noah's past and the fact that a good chunk of the acting out he shared with me in his disclosure took place years before he even knew me. For my self-esteem in our relationship, Noah is tasked with telling me regularly and even more when I get triggered that there was and is nothing wrong with me, it was him, so that I'm able to internalize it and stand up to the assumptions of others. I know this is not a lucky type of situation, but one way that I do feel lucky in my betrayal experience is that as soon as Noah revealed his compartmentalized secret sexual life and he realized that he had really messed up, he owned it. He started to step out of the fantasy land he had created for himself and jumped wholeheartedly into recovery work for himself and did whatever was asked to help me feel safe. He was still learning the depth and breadth of what he had done, but he didn't run. 
The me feeling safe required a ton of education about porn and sex addiction, betrayal trauma, delving into all of the feelings and experiences and creating a ton of boundaries, including a very important boundary, especially for men acting out using technology, which was that Noah abstained from all social media because of the addictive nature of it. He also needed to stop using it because it's a place where pornography is prevalent, if it's sought after or not. As a betrayed partner, the only thing that kept me in my relationship was seeing that Noah was doing everything he could to get himself help, and that he was working hard to show empathy for me by supporting me in anything that I asked for in regards to boundaries. He was working as hard as he could to figure out what he needed to do for himself, for me, and for our coupleship. And I was doing my recovery work and trying to build myself back up in my separate apartment. So if things didn't work out, I already was halfway gone. Finding the right therapists has been a challenge for us individually and as a couple. That is one way that we've both been re-traumatized in our recovery. The challenge for couples struggling with betrayal trauma is finding individual therapists, couples workshops, or couples therapists that specialize in sex addiction. They also need to be partner-informed and acknowledge that even in an addiction model, the betraying partner has been an abuser. The abuser label can be challenging for the abuser to own, but that's because our patriarchal society mostly supports the idea of physical abuse. If there's no bruise on a woman's face, but her partner yells at her, calls her demeaning names, and spends their money on non-consensual acting out behaviors, there is usually no recourse with police or in court, and sometimes no support from friends or family because of their disbelief. Some therapists use codependency models, which are partner-blaming, inaccurate, and damaging. Others can take the tone of, oh, boys will be boys. They argue against the betrayed partner, who feels betrayed by their husband viewing porn because the therapists have been taught by society and in their male-dominated field a field where part of the curriculum has them watching porn to normalize it, that porn is an accepted form of entertainment and can be helpful to individuals and couples struggling with sex issues instead of being a multi-billion dollar industry created by men as a pipeline that is degrading and abusive toward women, promoting violence towards women of all ages, and leaving many of the female performers with chronic health issues and no way out of the business. I will talk more about the damaging effects of porn on female performers, men who support the porn industry by watching it, and society as a whole in a later episode. With lots of trial and error, this has been our support system. As an individual, Noah has entered into a 12-step program for sex addicts. He has also gone to an inpatient clinic for 28 days where he learned a slew of healthy coping mechanisms for anxiety and shame, as well as insight into the why of his acting out behaviors, many of which stem from childhood trauma. He also continues to see a CSAT, Certified Sex Addiction Therapist, and has check-ins with his sponsor. I've been seeing an APSATS, Association of Partners of Sex Addicts Trauma Specialists, therapists for many months now. 
I've attended group women-only sessions for betrayed partners and have gone to a six-day trauma retreat for betrayed women. As a couple, we've done a shit ton of work, including following the process of recovery laid out for us by our CSAT therapists, which includes the formal disclosure, follow-up questions, impact letter, and restitution letter. All very, very painful, and I could devote an entire episode to this process. We've seen a couple's therapist, which was a train wreck and re-traumatizing, a couple's coach, and joined a couple's community with excellent coaches and guest speakers. This is where I plug Helping Couples Heal and the Helping Couples Heal podcast with Marnie Breek and Dwayne Osterland. We've also done a lot of reading on various topics related to porn and sex addiction, betrayal, trauma, narcissism, codependency. Oh, and we've had to say goodbye to people, family and friends, either because they were victim-blaming, narcissists, groomers, enablers, or just not capable of empathy or being there for someone when the chips are down. There's a lot to unpack in this world of betrayal. So we've also done our fair share of journaling while trying to process all the emotions, thoughts, and sorting through all of the information. The recovery process for us has been a ton of work, time, and money, and I wouldn't wish it on anyone. But some good has come out of it for both of us. Noah no longer lives with the shame of his behaviors, and because he is living his life authentically now, he is able to bring a level of joy, passion, and intimacy to our relationship that he never was capable of before. And I'm able to set and maintain boundaries for myself, give myself permission to step into my power as a woman and a creative person, and to be more empathetic with people in general. In therapy, betrayed partners ask the question, how will I know that my husband's recovery program is working? A good therapist will say, when you're able to trust your intuition again and you see that there's a shift, your husband will seem like a different person. It might look like them giving up control in certain areas, caring expressions and gestures, the new ability to be an active listener, being able to hold your pain and show empathy. You'll know when you start to witness it. And that's what happened with Noah. I see the change in his personality and that his insides, his belief systems, his morals and values are evolving to match his, his behaviors, his outsides. <laughs> if I didn't know the past Noah, Noah 1.0, and I just met the person he is now, I would be smitten because I see how far he has come and the way he treats me now. I love Noah 2.0 even more than Noah 1.0, because he is a whole person who embraces life and has made significant changes because he loves, values, and has chosen to spend the rest of his life with me. In therapy, I learned that there can be a shame in staying with a partner who has cheated on you. There can also be a shame in leaving, but I'm just going to talk about the staying. The shame in staying has to do with hearing or sensing other people's judgments about your choice. It can also have to do with you being down on yourself when you know that you should leave. Women stay in abusive relationships for all different reasons. 
Sometimes it's lack of money. Sometimes it might cause them more harm to try and leave. Sometimes it's family or clergy expectations. I believe that while folks on the outside of a situation think they might know what's best, they really don't, unless they have done the research and have been on the inside too. For me, I believe people are resilient and malleable, that we are all capable of changing for better as we grow and learn. I'm staying with Noah and I'm choosing to resist the feelings of shame because I know what it's like to be me in my life right now. I know what my truth is. Now, 11 months into our recovery, we are living together in my two-bedroom apartment and are in the process of selling our shrine to our dead marriage. Good riddance. We are continuing to heal together. Noah is still in what they call healthy recovery, with no acting out since D-Day. But we have had some rough spots regarding lying and some additional details that emerged after the formal disclosure. We've also had some really rough spots when I was researching divorce options. I also still battle triggers from seeing certain people or remembering certain details. Though the frequency and intensity has lessened for the most part, this is part of my PTSD. And that's one of the things that partners carry with them, PTSD. We continue to do all the therapy. We also have some new rituals, which I love. We've switched from watching television at night to fun activities like jigsaw puzzles, reading, listening to jazz while we have tea. On the weekends, sometimes we draw together at coffee shops and have couch time, which involves us sitting on the couch and snuggling, talking, or doing eye gazing. We also started meditating together, and we've been planning our life as empty nesters again, this time as digital nomads partially in Portugal and the surrounding countries. The reason that I'm sharing this story and information with you has to do with legacy. My legacy and the legacy of others hearing this. Legacy starts within a family and ripples out to the rest of the world. As the Healing Trauma podcast posted on Instagram, if trauma is passed down through generations, so can your healing. So in my mind, helping others to see and understand the effects of porn and sex addiction through the lens of betrayal trauma might prevent this from happening to others because most people would rather do anything else than join a club where the opening line is, welcome to the club that nobody wants to join. If you are a woman who has recently been betrayed and are struggling with the roller coaster of emotions that accompanies discovery, you might want to check out the journal I created titled I Am Reclaiming Me, a betrayed partner's daily practice journal. I designed this full-color paperback journal to be a structured workbook for betrayed women to keep track of their recovery progress, assess their safety, and decide whether they want to stay in or leave their relationship. The book will launch this summer, but I'm accepting pre-orders for the book right now. The first 25 people to pre-order a book will get a signed edition. So please head to my website at badass-silverstreak.com backslash store to order your book now. 
Thanks for listening to another episode of I Am My Passion Project. For resources related to betrayal trauma, please read the show notes. I am my passion project.